0: In the last decade, women have made up 50% of law school graduates. Yet women make up only 38% of the legal profession. Somewhere along the line, we are losing women in the practice of law. What's the story? We're here to spill it. This is Spilling the Tea with M.C.L.E., the podcast bringing together leaders and trailblazers to candidly share insights into their careers with the goal of helping you succeed in yours. Here's your host, a lawyer and advocate fiercely dedicated to the advancement of women in the legal profession, S.C. Selleck.
1: Honorable Joni Hiramoto is the first Asian American judge on the Contra Costa County Superior Court. Over her 22 years on the bench, she has served in many different assignments, including felony trials, juvenile court, and domestic violence probation court, along with drug court and family law. Judge Hiramoto helped create the court's domestic violence restraining order clinic in 2000 and pioneered the county's first behavioral health court. Judge Hiramoto is active in the area of judicial education. She's taught classes for judges in the area of judicial ethics, domestic violence and immigration issues in domestic violence cases. She is also an instructor at the statewide judicial college for new judges and a member of the statewide curriculum committee that plans the judicial college. Judge Hiromoto is active with community groups as a board member of the Center for Youth Development Through Law and as a member and fellow of the El Cerrito SAR Optimists. She was previously a member of the Richmond Rotary Club and active with her PTA. Judge Hiromoto is a member of the board of the Center for Youth Development Through Law, a nonprofit that supports moot court teams and underprivileged high schools and operates an internship and classroom programs for high school students at Berkeley School of Law every Summer. summer. Judge Hiromoto graduated from Harvard College, magna cum laude, in 1983 and obtained her JD from UC Berkeley in 1987. Welcome, Judge Hiramoto.
2: How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I
1: am well. Thank you so much for being on our podcast here spilling the tea with Shelley. The format of this is just really basic. We just, I ask you 10 questions and we get your answers and we see how it goes. It's really organic. So I'm really excited for you to be here. Thank you again um, thank for being for on the podcast.
2: Really. Oh, thank
1: you. I, I loved your bio, by the way. It was so mother of three husky owner. And I was like, <laughs> that's all you need really. Like you don't have to have anything else. That's really, that's, that's it. Like that keeps you busy, doesn't it? <laughs> well the horse
2: the horse keeps me busy too the horse yeah. too yeah oh uh, yes how is summer doing she is doing so well oh boy she's the light of my life i mean you know uh, in addition to uh, assuming husband and kids and everything comes first but i mean you know uh, before work certainly and tied with the husky uh, she's the light of my life <laughs>
1: No one is judging you for, for adoring your horse. So, and, and, and putting that in the same category as family. So we're, we're all animal
2: lovers here at MCLA. So, but how old is she again? I forgot. She's five. She oh,
1: so she's is,
2: young. Yeah, she might even still be growing, um, but she's, she's, she's got amazing training, a really sweet, open, people-oriented personality. And so I'm just having a great time with her. I see her every day, sometimes twice a day.
1: Every day that's amazing and sometimes twice a day that's great I mean that's that's got to be is this the first time you've owned a horse or
2: no um, this is she's my second horse um, the first horse went off uh, to retire in a pasture with another 23 year old mare and they're actually latest reports is they're having a really good time
1: which you is know, I- yeah. interesting because usually I find the, or
2: mm-hmm. my dad
1: has horses and and sometimes the horses don't get along and you have to sort of right. juggle right, them right, right.
2: And and in fact the the other horse named Elsa my horse is Molly Elsa did not get along with the other mares and um, um, was in a pasture by herself and she was older and they put Molly in with her and Molly Molly gets along with everyone and always has and so now they're buddies
0: and it's awesome. really
2: sweet and yeah yeah and so she's she's not you know having to work uh, and she has arthritis in three legs so it's a really good. Uh, a good rehoming for her. And I gave her to the lady who got me started by loaning me a horse for free. So yeah, it was, it was like a circle coming together and it was really, really beautiful.
1: So just oats and and apples and carrots for her now.
2: Yeah. uh, (laughs) Alfalfa and grass and yeah. And, and she's happy. She's living the good life. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Happy to hear that.
1: So I'm going to start with the first question. If you're ready, this one's this one's
2: weighty. What does success mean to you? Success is changing people's lives for the better, or making something better for people uh, who come after you. That's that's really it. If if that if that is the outcome of something, then that to me is something successful. Do you have an example of something that
1: you feel has been a success?
2: If I think about my career and uh, what has impacted people, I would say there have been decisions that impacted people and in my view was a success. But I think the, 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 the two best things that I've done, one in my career and one in my role as a member of the community, um, the first one was I increased access for filing petitions for domestic violence in Contra Costa County. And 23 years ago when I started, only you could only file those petitions at the family court in Martinez yeah. and that yeah. was because it took a special it took a specially trained clerk to be able to receive it and to make sure the proper boxes were ticked off and everything and so they only allowed the filing of those things at uh, Martinez and so I advocated and did two things um, one we got filing at all the courts and and two, we, I was um, one of the organizers who founded the domestic violence restraining order clinic in the county. And we set up a non-public area at the Richmond court. Also, I was the liaison to our domestic violence committee, a countywide committee that was funded by the, the board of supervisors, adding a dollar to marriage certificates, death certificates, and birth certificates, one dollar to each of those for the cost of that. And that funded these anti-domestic violence efforts. And by being a voice there and a presence, eventually the, the DV clinic in West County is not needed anymore because we have the West County Family Justice Center. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we always have DV in the forefront of our, uh, and access uh, in the forefront of court planning things to the point where now we take DV orders by email. So yeah. that's the yeah. only thing that we, uh, we allow in terms of complaint filing, um, and that. So my, my role in being a voice and, and expanding access, both for people seeking orders and for people responding to them, to them, that's, I, I, I put that in my category.
1: It's pretty Um, great. Yeah. I, I, when, when did you start having this push to, to help with the domestic violence? Um, That was
2: 1999. uh, Wow. In 1988. I became a judge and I went to the judicial college and I attended a class about domestic violence and it uh, really opened my, I really didn't know anything about the cycle of violence or, you know, why people recant or anything like that. I mean, I was really uninformed. I mean, well, let's put it this way. I was as informed as about the average person, right, which is basically uninformed and then At that time Judge Judy Craddock who's now retired came back and said that she wanted to start a domestic violence court and she did and she had that going for a while and and but over the years but that became my focus because I you know started sounding off about those sorts of things we need so here's what happened my my husband at the time was a DA Mm
1: -hmm. and he
2: was in Martinez and he was at a sentencing and at the sentencing in the criminal building, the, the defendant took off, just ran out of the courtroom and down the stairs, and the bailiff took after him, but just couldn't, you know, couldn't keep up with him. Anyway, um, they picked him up. He was met by a car from West County, and there were about three people, four people in the car, and they were picked up several hours later in Martinez, driving wow. around because wow. this is before Google Maps. They could not find their way to the highway. They could not find the freeway on ramp and it and i used that story at the time as emblematic of the lack of access between west county and martinez these very highly motivated people could not find their way from martinez to richmond how are we going to expect domestic violence survivors under all the stress that they're under to get their way to find their way out to martinez to file a petition for a restraining order which to many people is just a piece of paper so um, that that was the situation back then, and now we have so much access, you know, we, we we know there's more work to be done, but I think I look back to where we were then, and I think that I mean I wrote about it in the. Uh, Contra Costa lawyer newsletter, you know, I mean it, this was a this was a thing that was really this was the passion that I came back from judicial college with and it sustained me over the years.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's 22 years. You've been, a, you've been a judge for 22 years since, since you've had this push towards towards making domestic violence uh, something that was talked about in a more open space. And that's huge because, I mean, I, in, in the 1990s, I don't remember talking about domestic violence at all. I think the first thing that, that ever even like, I know that's always been happening, but the first blip, I think, was the O.J. Simpson trial when people were like,
2: Oh, you know, there's domestic violence in homes. And so for you to, right. to it was a get... thing that police police would come to a call and they would not get involved. Yeah. And the laws changed and the laws changed, and you know, the system and attitudes about it have have become more educated over the years. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's come a long way. That's so amazing. the other thing that I did, the other thing that I did that I look upon as a success that I'm very proud of actually is I was an instrumental community person in raising my voice to change the name of Portola Middle School in El Cerrito to Koromatsu Middle School okay um, after Fred Koromatsu who whose case Um, He challenged the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II, and um, he lost his case in 1944 before the U.S. Supreme Court. And then in 1983, they reopened it, and they won a uh, trial-level decision saying that it was based on uh, illegal orders. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that was that was a big deal because there was a lot of opposition to changing it to Korematsu. One of the school board members put the bug in my ear and said, "Hey, Joni, you know we're rebuilding Portola Middle School on a different site. This might be a good opportunity to change the name. What do you think about changing it to Korematsu, given the history of Japanese Americans in El Cerrito?" And I thought that was a fabulous idea. It met with a lot of opposition, but that's crazy. But well, heads prevailed, and finally, it was approved on a unanimous vote. And now they have an annual civil rights uh, speaker competition for the students, and that's become the focus of the school. And I look back and I think of how that's going to last through the years, and it just it just makes me so proud. So I, I look at those two things as my two successes. I mean,
1: those are those are large large successes, I must say. It, it kind of leads us into question number two, which is, what's the biggest change you'd still like to see in the in the legal profession? Is there Is there something that you can name?
2: Well, okay. So for me, what I'm working on personally is gender identity. I think that uh, we're sort of in the stone ages with regard to gender identity. And I think that there are a lot of discussions that have to be had before people understand it. I think people want to understand it and, and often don't. And that, so that's, that's to me that the next frontier, if you want, if you want to, Talk to me about what's the biggest change? I think I think basically uh, we're talking about you know systemic changes about just gender bias in general and and race uh, injustice. I mean those those are those those happen at uh, microaggressive levels in the law and also that has a that that's just the microaggressive level that we people have to put up with on a day to day basis. But in terms of you know diversity at the board level in large companies um, diversity at partnership levels in large law firms and you know promotional things that um, there's still that that's that change has not come yet so that to me that's a change in progress and that's still one that I'd like to see
1: yeah I, we i think we've talked about this on, on another podcast but we we're actually in a county contrast county that has it's strange. We have more women on the bench than we do men, which is sh- is not normal for the for for the state of California. And I was also reading in your bio that you were the first Asian American person to be put on the bench. And I mean, those well, things. not are... on the
2: bench, but the first not not in... on the bench because the first Asian. Uh, but I'm the first Asian on the Superior Court. So superior the first court. one in the county was Irene Takahashi. Got it. She was on the Municipal Court. I mean, but you know, it, it reminds me
1: of something that happened a, a few weeks ago, where we were celebrating all the the women who had been uh, the leaders of the bar association. Uh, and there's, it's the bar association's been around for I think a hundred years, and there's been eight presidents that are women. And that's yeah. just thinking in the binary. And yeah. so, you know, it just sort of b- blows my mind that you know we're st- we're still trying to get parity with women, but yet. Yeah, There's yeah. still all this other stuff to talk about with Well, what does gender even mean? What does gender expression mean? What does gender identity mean? Um, right. So it'll be interesting to see how that comes about on the bench, if that if that comes up in, in the near yeah. future. Well, our for current, you know,
2: there. I think I feel pretty comfortable on the bench in terms of gender issues and race issues in the county. I yeah. mean, our, our current presiding judge is a woman, the uh, assistant Uh, presiding judge, the the one who's coming in next is a woman. And so we have good representation at the executive level. Our chief executive officer is a woman. So I think we're we're doing well. And so that, but there are still microaggressive things that happen with regard to gender bias. And we get, you know, uh, informal issues raised. I I mean, people tell me things. I'm a member of the bias committee in the county as, as, as you are. And, uh, you know, we, we get murmurings of things that are happening. So I did an educational program on gender bias, which is not the be-all, end-all, but it, you know, it's the start. And the next one that I want to write is and present is on going to be on gender identity. Awesome. I, it reminds me of when I was back at the law firm and the women associates went to the partnership, and some of the women partners joined us and asked the firm to sponsor a women's lunch. Where the women associates and partners could just go together to a restaurant and have the firm pay for lunch and you know talk about issues and it was turned down by um, the firm and this was the reason because it would make it appear that there is a problem
1: yeah yeah that sounds so, about right
2: <laughs> so there there are you know i i think we're we're sometimes in that place where people don't think it's a problem because we're so aware of things. But then when we look at things, I mean, but you have to look just the way you mentioned, you know, the, the the statistics, like how many women presidents have there been of the Contra Costa Bar Association? And even, you know, which I would not look at as a biased organization by any means. It's no, very not primitive. at all. Yeah, People are very well-meaning, people are very, you know, they're, they, they put their money where their mouth is and they, I love that organization. But, you know, when you when you get right down to the numbers, then a different story comes out. So it's something that you can't take for granted, you have to, you know, keep looking at things and um, examining them. So I think the big change that I want to see is one that we're still working on.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's very fair. Well, I'm gonna change all of these questions a little bit now to, to encompass all all genders because <laughs> I I realize that they are kind of gendered questions. And I I have noticed that in the past, but because we're talking about it, I might as well make some changes.
2: Um Yeah, and just, just for full disclosure, and and I know that she'd be okay with this, might just for full disclosure for your listeners, one of the reasons I'm into this issue is. Um, two and a half years ago, my oldest child came out as a transgender woman. So I got my lifelong wish of having a daughter, and um, we do mani pedis together and go shopping. And I, and but it's not just that I've had to really learn uh, a whole new uh, vocabulary and just way of thinking about things. She's my same child, but she's my daughter now. And so you know what what does that mean in, in terms of Understanding, she's still the same person. Her still her same personality, sense of humor, and things like that. But it's through a different lens, and how you know adjusting to that, and how I want other people, um, you know, to accept and keep opportunities open for her. So that's one of the reasons why I'm really interested in that issue, and, and became aware of it.
1: As somebody who has also had to uh, readjust their lens for for gender identity reasons. Have, have you noticed, I, I know the answer, but I, I want you to expand on it. How have you noticed that, um, you know, just just seeing it through through caring about somebody who has has a different gender expression, has a different gender identity, how has that made opened your eyes to see all of the different ways that their uh, gender is just so encompassed in our, our community and our our lives?
2: It does admit. And um, what happens is uh, I hear things from my daughter and then I, I go out and I see, you know, what a binary community we live in. And of course, she is binary still, but still mm-hmm. uh, and um, and just dealing. There are um, there are several uh, non-binary uh, lawyers that uh, appear in front of me and I reached out to one and they were very grateful and um, and I said, you know, if, if any of um, the other uh, non-binary lawyers want to ask me questions or anything, you know, I just reached out to them and I wanted to find out, you know, what pronouns do they prefer? Do they want me to let the other judges know their pronouns? Do they want to just deal with judges individually? And then they were okay and I just, I, I sent out an email. Uh, to the bench and i said you know these these lawyers would prefer to use these these are the pronouns they use i didn't i you know i actually didn't say prefer i said these are the pronouns they use Mm -hmm. and and then internally i i just i just see it all the time and i have corrected my colleagues privately when they when they have sent emails i you know i just just point out, and they're, they're always happy to be corrected. And one of the things is it's made me bolder about correcting people because I always wanted to be corrected because yeah. It's, it's, yeah. You know, it's muscle memory and it needs to change. And so I, I, I just, I felt badly about it, but every time I made a mistake, because I know even though it's well-intentioned or not ill-intentioned, it's, it's still hurtful. So I tried to, I, I just, I tried to um, pay more attention to it by understanding, and it's really opened up a dialogue between me and certain attorneys, and it's made me feel really happy. And so I'm going to, by by seeing someone whom I'm so connected to, my daughter, mm-hmm. uh, go through it, it, it's made me anything your kids go through. Like, like, this is like the celebrity phenomenon of celebrity gets a disease, and all of a sudden, that's the big deal for the celebrity. And so it, in a way that that's sort of what's going on for me, you know, I, mm-hmm. my, my child yeah. has a challenge. And so um, I want to take up that banner and make things better for my child so that my child lives in a better world. So the world that I want, you know, for everyone and everyone's yeah. children.
1: Well, I, I have to say that's um, it's amazing and I, I thank you for it. I really feel like you are an advocate for for um for that. And um it means a lot because I think that without somebody so openly talking about gender on the bench and trying to to start a dialogue about it with other judges and and in court the courtroom, I think you know, not just this county, but any county would it's, it's still kind of years from from normalizing what should already be normalized. So that's true. Um, So I appreciate it, and I'm just
2: thank you, thank you for that. Well, yeah, you know, we have we have um, uh, the only. Well, there are two transgender judges in the nation, one mm-hmm. in New York and one in Alameda County, in our own backyard. So um, we do have education. My vision of a courtroom is a courtroom where people feel comfortable coming in to bring their, their grievances from society. Yeah. So that is, that is really, um, uh, a mission that's near and dear to my heart and also fits in squarely with my ethical duties. You know, I'm not taking a side, it's not taking a side to want to have everyone have feel equal status and equal dignity before a court of law. So, yeah. um, yeah,
1: it's, it's, I mean, I just look at it as it's not, it, it, yeah, it's not, it's not taking a side to educate people of just human basic rights and, and, exactly. and respect
2: and equal, I mean. and equal human dignity. Yeah, exactly. That's the base that that's the starting point. Certainly that's the foundation. The bigger challenges are to deal with bias, you know, actual, yeah. actual bias. And then, you know, how you see the civil rights and the women's, uh, women's gender issues are, are older issues, right, in terms of how, how long the advocacy has been out there, they're, they're more at this level we were talking about a moment ago, which is, you know, what are the board's populations like? What are the, you know, what are the big firm partnership level? Attrition rates you know, rate and stuff like that. No. Yeah. We're at the definitional stage. What yeah. is it? And, yeah. and how what do you call me? it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it, it's, it's at a much more nascent Uh, level and there's much more work that needs to be done. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, I'm excited about it because there's, you know, there's lots that I can do. um, But at the same time, it makes me sad because there is so much more uh, that has to be done.
1: There's absolutely a lot of work to be done. But even the last couple of years, I've seen a lot of growth in our, in our, in our community. And I I know I have, and I know that we're in California and and that's a a progressive place, but I, I have seen a lot of a lot of changes, like I'm trying to start a uh, this push to have everybody called counsel instead of Mr. and Mrs. Because I, I don't think we need it. It's the same It's yeah. the same amount of syllables, counsel, Mr. and Mrs. You know, that's,
2: you know? that's interesting because when I have a non-binary lawyer in my court, I call them counsel. Mm-hmm. And then I call the other lawyer by Mr. or Ms. And, you know, and then but sometimes just not I wouldn't say as a lapse, but just sometimes because I'm not even thinking I'll call everybody counsel just because yeah. I, I, I'm just I'm not focused on that issue anymore. I'm just focused on the substance of what's going on. But, um, you know, that does make things easier. At the and, end of the day, we're all counsel. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. really it. We should just take that's, gender that's out of interesting. it. Interesting. You know, there's I can't remember the name of it, but there's a novel where um, I'll have to oh, get yeah. the name of it the one the one where um, the default pronoun is she yes and um, what's in, in that culture the default pronoun is she and then I, I it wasn't until the second book that I realized one of the characters from the first book was actually male and, yeah. and how it changes your perception of that person to think that way and and what um, what um, implicit biases show up um how you think about people based on what um their gender is um, yeah. yeah yeah um i the records I re- would be really cool what, what i'm saying is the transcripts would be really great you know when you when a hearing goes up and the appellate justices are, are looking at that as counsel this counsel this, instead of mr or ms yeah I, I i i think that is something we really should do oh that's exciting well i'm really glad you made that suggestion <laughs> Yeah, I
1: mean, I have another friend who doesn't have who who just uses they in all of their petitions, which right. is hard for some people to read. But we've talked about how they is totally a part of the English language, right. and there's there's no argument right. for it being you know improper. We right. I you and I agree on that. But uh, I've had some kickback from from just some people reading it and being like, this is very confusing. They they they. Um, but I think that's the future too. And just yeah. stop using he, she, just yeah. they. And, and, so, and if
2: it is confusing, then use the name. name. If they is not, then say, well, then it's council sell Right. So because that's what happens, because you get confused with he, she pronouns anyway. He went Mm -hmm. there and hit him. You know, I mean, I get that all the time. So I have to say, okay, it was your it was John who did that and Tom who did that. And George, you know, I I, you have to put you have to use the proper nouns anyway. um, Yeah. Or father did this and son did that. And brother, you know, you have to use some kind because whether it's a binary pronoun or they there's there's really not that much of a difference in terms of the potential for confusion and so i i at first i understand i understand what the grammarians are saying right plural versus singular but i think that the greater benefit in terms of equal dignity and status is worth it that's my mantra the equal benefit of of respect that it gives across the board and the layer of bias that it strips away, the layer of implicit bias, that's worth the potential yeah. confusion between singular and plural. That's my answer anyway. I
1: absolutely agree. I mean, I, I'm trying, to, but it's hard even for somebody who, who uh, I, you know, I, I am non-binary and I find that I fall into traps of, of gender all the time, where I'm like Mr. or Mrs., you know, and I'm trying to move towards a, a council and it's all very tricky because we've been taught from such a young age that that gender is so important to identify people and so un, you know unlearning that is absolutely difficult and i think that a lot of people think that they're supposed to get it right away and the thing is even when you're living it you don't get it right away you're it's yeah. very hard and very you know you have
2: to yeah. learn so well and, and then here's something else there is an advantage to unlearning the current system and that's okay here's here's the advantage not not just not just even equal dignity status there is a gendered a gen, and that is you know how we have the difference between miss and misses mm-hmm. right like all men are mister like they have status mm-hmm. no matter what but miss well well like you have to give women a different status based on their marital status what exactly what does that mean and yeah. that you know that reflects an implicit bias that women have always accepted or most women have always accepted. Right. And I think getting yep. rid of that and being called judge Hiromoto, right. Yeah. You know, I, you know, it, it's, it's, I just, I think that um, getting rid of that, those types of gendered identifiers. Hierarchical
1: identifiers. Yeah.
2: Right. Right. Dismantles some implicit bias in the hierarchy that is worth it. I, I really think it's worth it. So yeah, I I I really it was so cool of you, um Sutter, to share just now that, you know, that e- you even struggle with some of those things because that made me um oh, remember that thought. So yeah, I mean I I
1: have a daily issue where I'm like Oh, I did that wrong, you know, and, and then you just learn from it. And that's, that's why whenever we're talking to people and they they mix up a pronoun, you say, that's fine, you know, don't apologize, let's just move on, you know, like, just learn it and, and try next time, you know, so Well, I mean, this is, we could just go on for years um, (laughs) with all of these topics. I'm going to try and get back to some of the questions though. I mean, you have been a judge for a very, very long time and you were a lawyer before that. Is there any advice you wish you had been given early on in your career that, that, that um, you think would have served you?
2: Yes. Okay. The first, okay. The first thing was, I wish I had been told that merit is not objective and that people are not gonna just notice that you do good work. The bottom line is it's okay to promote yourself because no one else is gonna promote you. And that is what I wish I had been told. I just thought that if I turned in stellar work, that word would get around and happened for some people, for the men, certainly, and for white men, but it really didn't happen for the women as much. So the first thing I would say is it's okay to promote yourself. In fact, it's more than okay. It's necessary to promote mm-hmm. yourself. Um, that merit is not objective. That just because you turn in a, um, a winning Summary judgment. You know, unless you win that motion, and unless you go around and tell everyone in your firm what a great job you did, people are not going to understand that you did a a perfectly. You you put in the perfect brief, right? Or that you gave the perfect argument. It is okay to promote yourself. And I wish I had known that at a law firm there are two things you need. One is a mentor, and one is a sponsor. And they don't have to be the same person. And the mentor is the one or more. I I what I did was I had like four or five people that gave me advice, both mm-hmm. inside and outside the firm. Mentors are the ones that give you advice and you know, uh, experience and samples and stuff like that. But the sponsor, what I hadn't focused on was you need a sponsor who is going to either carve out a part of their practice to give you, or uh, help you establish your own practice, meaning. Paying clients, paying clients makes or breaks you at law firms, whether they're small or middle or large Mm -hmm. and um, to become a partner, you need a sponsor sponsoring partner and the one who's nice to you and who is giving you lots of advice may not have a big enough book of business to sponsor you and you have to have these hard conversations with people about what it is you need to do if you're going to make it and and so i wish i'd known about that i'd wish i'd known about what you really have to do to um, make becoming partner at a large law firm a reality or a middle-sized law firm a reality um, and having those those types of conversations. And the last thing is something that I tell people a lot now. Um, and that is, it's what one of the obstacles I overcame in applying to be a judge. And that is that there was a study done and men would apply for a job even before they knew how to do it. A job or a promotion, even before they knew how to do the skills that that position required. Whereas women wouldn't. They would wait until they felt that they had all the know-how before they applied. And once I learned that, I applied to be a judge Mm -hmm. because people said, you know, you could learn uh, the skills that you need once you're there. What you need to get there is temperament. That's what you really need. But you can, you can learn things that you don't know now once you get there. And I wish that I had known those three things. You have another question. Do you like, was there a time you didn't stand up for yourself and do you have any regret? Yeah. For me. Yeah. It kind of dovetails, like I really didn't stand up for myself to the partnership. I really didn't know the, I I just thought that, you know, I'm doing great work. You know, I'm winning the stuff. I'm, you know, sending people running to the hills and stuff. And I thought that someone would swoop down and take me in. Right. And that, that did not happen. Um, And because I didn't stand up for myself, when I became a figure, I looked around and realized I'm probably not going to make it. So I started looking around and, and also lifestyle was just not right for me. So the, the back half of your question is, did I have any regrets about that? And the answer is no, I feel like my ultimate career path and being a judge ended up to be really great for having a family and um, being a mom and was the best balance of work and family life in the law that was available to me.
1: Yeah, I think you've done fine. Um... <laughs> but, but, but I, but I agree. I think we, we try and promote that, that kind of sensibility on this podcast all the time, which is, you know, you have to have kind of like your gang and it can be a girl gang. It can be, you know, an anything gang, you know, just to, of your mentors and and your sponsors and the people who are going to, you know, self, selflessly promote you and put your name in there. And if somebody asks for something, say, Oh, well, you know, I think, I think Judge Hiromoto would be great for that uh, that speaking event, or you know, and you just have to have those people who support you as much as you support them, and as much as you would, you know, you would be able to do it for yourself, but probably with more, you know, you know, we're all a little bit shaky about you know saying that we're good at things, and so you exactly. need that that person who's your buddy that'll be like, no, you're great at this. This is your exactly. thing. Exactly.
2: And and where yeah. I have um, figured this out was in um, doing uh, mock interviews with mm-hmm. law students and looking at their resume and helping them figure out the kinds of questions that they need to ask. Uh, and so one of the one of the tricks that I have for them is related to this promoting yourself. So um, if you're in a you know at the end of all these perfunctory law student reviews or even as a new associate interview, you know do you have any questions? And you have to use that opportunity. And you don't ask the regular questions like, yes, how is work assigned at your firm? Or is this, what is the, what is the law firm culture like? You know, that's, oh my yeah. God, don't ask those questions. Instead, <laughs> pick, figure out the best places on your resume where you have an opportunity to shine and we're not talked about and say, yes, why didn't you ask me about this? and smile at them and then they can smile and say okay well tell me about that and that's your and then you use that opportunity to promote yourself it's brilliant right yeah yeah so i think that you know it's okay not only is it okay to promote yourself it is absolutely necessary um i had a, a law student um that worked with me this summer at court and under personal activities The first entry there was knitting and i was like okay um tell me about your knitting and you know she told me well i I like do you do competitions or you know she goes no it's just regular knitting you know and i yeah i it's really a great stress reliever and um and i said okay this is how you use it Okay, um, so does this help Does this help you deal with the stress of being a law student? And she, oh, in, incredibly. And it really, because she's a very balanced, calm person. And I said, okay, that you're, at the end when they say, do you have any questions? You say, yes. Why didn't you ask me about my knitting? And, yeah. then, and then they ask, and, and then you say, it is something that helps me deal with stress, which is something that I think you would like in a first year associate. I'm someone who has an effective way of dealing with stress and, um, you know, possibly receiving a warm cardigan from me at the, you know, at the end of the year and, you know, make it a joke, but but show how it's something that has, that gives you a positive quality that they may want to see. I mean, and then um, I guess it was Tom Daly, the British um, Olympian who um, was crocheting a and, and and then and I said, bring that in too, you know, yep. show how, you know, if it's good enough for an Olympian, it's good enough for one of your associates and exactly. give them a smile you know yeah. and, you know, make it timely, make it, you know, and so yeah, promote yourself no matter what it is, you know, and because a lot of, I bet you a lot of people would see that and go knitting boring and just write her off as a boring little granny sitting in a corner, you know, um, yeah. knitting something yeah. and and say no 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 this is this is this I'm I've got this skill that helps me in a way that you would like um, at your firm you know yeah. especially if you like scarves and cardigans you know just yeah. just get it in there right
1: yeah. making a positive <laughs> out, out
2: of something that might not be viewed
1: as a positive is, is probably yeah. one of the most important yeah. things so yeah
2: the fourth piece of it I actually just thought of when I um, was talking just now is something that I've always told my children when they, since they were very small. And that is um, the hardest thing we do in this life is to be true to ourselves. And this was, you know, 18, 20 years before um, my daughter came out. And um, so that knitting story was uh, something that I told her in terms of saying, look, the other thing you can tell them is I put knitting on my resume and that should tell you that I'm not afraid to be myself. Yeah. And I'm not afraid to show you who I am. And, you know, exactly, you know, put that into the kind of term that they can understand and why it's relevant on your resume. You know, this is, this is who I am. And you may not think that this is sexy or appealing or high profile, but this is the, this is a statement by a person who's not afraid to be true to herself.
1: Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's amazing. I'm, yeah. And by the way, I need to learn how to knit. So uh, um, <laughs> thank you for, thank you for uh, reminding me that I should probably just go get some knitting, whatever tools they have. I feel, I feel like I could use a lot of my own cardigans. Um,
2: <laughs> Judge, what makes you feel powerful? There's two things that makes me feel powerful. One is having people laugh at my stories or jokes. Okay, if, good, I'm, if, I'm, if i'm giving a speech or talking to people and they are laughing at my stories that's when i really feel like i've got it you know i've got people's yeah. attention and i am making them happy and the second thing that makes me feel powerful is um gratitude from people when they are telling me something that i did that made their lives better or some advice i gave mm-hmm. them that helped them um, when they were in a space or just in a, in a regular space uh, and I save those because when I'm feeling down, those help me you know, sort of recenter myself and remember I have a lot to offer. Um, but those two things, people's laughter and people's gratitude. I've been
1: doing this thing recently and I think maybe you probably have a better way of doing it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of <laughs> dovetail into that and ask you. I've been trying to keep compliments and put them on a list, like a list in my phone. So that whenever I am feeling like a bad day at work, I go, okay, well, I'm going to go through my compliments list. Um, yeah. how do you, how do you keep your, your compliments or your, your stories? I've
2: got a file. I, well, sometimes I, there, there's one that's um, posted up in my hallway, a note that I got from someone and, and yeah, I keep the thank you notes that tell me that, um, I that something I told them or said to them made a difference to them and, and what it was, because that kind of feedback makes me think, oh, OK, that that helps people. So um, it, it's it's I think that's because, you know, if I were a philanthropist, I would help people with money and I, yeah. I don't have that much money, but, um, you know, I do have bad experiences in my life. Right. And and, and what I've gotten out of that. If i can use that to help people then it makes it worth it and and by bad experiences i mean um i got divorced Mm -hmm. um and also although in in retrospect it was a great thing but at the time it was terrible and also i have um i'm a cancer survivor so you know talking to other uh, people about those types of experiences and helping them see there's a light at the end of the tunnel or that 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 sort of thing. Yeah, I I it's a physical file and more of a Luddite than you are. Well, I I
1: think that people probably have stopped writing thank yous as, as as much as they might have in the past. I mean, I've I've been in practice for I think 8 years and I think I've received one thank you and I'd like to believe that I've done more than that. So, in a note. You form.
2: definitely have.
1: You definitely have. <laughs> um well, I have, I, I want to know what three words uh, best describe you and how you want to be remembered. But um, yeah, if you could answer that and then I will pay you probably a compliment at the end of that.
2: Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Let's see. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Softball. Um, um. Compassionate. I want to be remembered as someone who, uh, uh, was able to reach her heart out to other people. And the other word, I only had two of them, was light, that I was a light for others um, in, in giving the advice. And also, I was there for others in supporting them um, when they uh, faced hard times. And I think if I was remembered as those two things, um, that, would, that would be, I, I, I'm saying, OK, was
1: yeah. a day, a life. I did all right. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I would
1: venture to say one of the things that I think about when I think of you is, and I this is a the word doesn't quite encompass it, so I'll have to explain it a little bit. But is strength, and it's strength in not just like actual brute strength, but strength in vulnerability. You know, you, you're very open, at least even on this this podcast. With these are some of the hard things that have gone on in my life, and I'm willing to share them. Instead of, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that are in your position, you know, judges and, and people who are, you know, public figures are more like, I don't want to talk about any of the things that have been hard or, or traumatic or, or have caused turmoil. And it's nice because you're not only talking about it, but you're, you're explaining, hey, you know, you can get something out of it. You might not get it at the beginning, but, you know, 20 years down the road or 15 years down the road, there, there will be be something that will help you. Or if it doesn't help you, it might help somebody that you serve. So that's wow, one of the- Thank you. Yeah, that's one thank of the cool, so cool things about you, I think that uh, makes you so um, relatable to the people who who are in front of you and the people who work in the court system. They're, they're just like, oh, Judge Hiromoto, she'll, you know, she's willing to to be vulnerable like the rest of us. And so that's very, very awesome. So well,
2: thank you bravo so much, to you.
1: So much no, no, we uh, last, but not least, what is the mantra to get you through tough times?
2: Okay, so there's, there's, there's three types of tough times. Okay, one, one is when just bad things happen, either out of your control and bad happen. And um, when I was going through one of those things, I was on a plane and the plane took off from San Francisco and was going through, it was in this rainstorm. And as we broke through the clouds on the other side, it was totally peaceful and sunny so one of them is when you're in bad times that the sun is always shining above the clouds and another time it the other other type of uh, challenge is when i'm feeling really weak and then i reach out for my love for others or whatever you know what's because love makes you strong yeah. And the last one, the last one is when I make because, you know, I don't just have one type of bad things happen, right? I mean, <laughs> one is one is, when, one is where um, if I've made a mistake, I really have, you know, made a mistake. And that my mantra for that one is eat shit because um, <laughs> because if I have made a mistake, I should take I should own it. I should just eat the shit. And then once I'm through, humility is a good way to get back to where I need to be. So yeah. yeah, sorry I didn't have just one answer, but you know, because no, I, just... I, I can't I tell think... you that each shit is my mantra for life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like
1: some people could say that they, I'm sure, uh, but I, I like that it's not your only mantra. I think I think uh, that leaves us on a more positive note. Um, but yeah, I, I I think being humble and and eating, you know, whatever. You have to, in, in order <laughs> to admit when you're wrong, is is a huge, you know, thing that you should have be your mantra. A lot of people don't like to admit they're wrong, and it's like, come on, we're all wrong sometimes, you know. Oh so. yeah,
2: oh yeah, and I I've, I I'm sure that I have saved myself, uh, you know, at least a couple of petitions to the Commission on Judicial Performance by just owning it, you know. Yeah. And um, there was a time that I, I wanted to extend an apology to a uh, a young lawyer. And her supervisor was there with her, and I said, "You know, can I see you in chambers?" And um, the supervisor threw up her hands and said, "Not without a court reporter!" And um, and I was like, "Okay," because I, I had really and so I brought them in and I put it all on the record, and it just felt really good, you know. And and to just say you were not wrong, I was wrong. Yeah. And the, the the good thing that I can tell you about it is I not only own it, and I want to apologize. But that I'm sure this is not going to happen in the future to others who may have been in your position. So
1: and that's that's awesome. I mean, that's, it's so important to know, you know, as people people think lawyers are so smart and judges are so smart and, you know, we all make mistakes. And so it is very important to be very honest about the mistakes that we do make and to say. I was wrong, or I don't know, you know, and that's also one of the things that I I really appreciate about at least appreciate about this county is I think a lot of the judges are willing to say, I got to go look that I got to go look into that, you know, yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to, ma- I'm not going to make a snap decision. Um, and that's something that's lovely about our community. I think so. Well, you have been a fantastic, uh, fantastic person on this podcast. I I could not be more grateful for the stories you have shared. Um, <laughs> well, one,
2: one of these days we'll have a talk about the other two questions about because I actually appeared on a panel about mansplaining and it was yeah I had I had a whole thing ready so at at some point we'll we'll get back together and we'll talk about that I can't wait good
1: that's a good one
2: to really dish
1: (laughs) we're living in a mansplaining society um you have been fantastic I appreciate it thank you so much
0: this has been spilling the tea with MCLE thanks for listening Want to learn more about the women featured on the podcast? Visit our website at www.mshele.com or email us at info at mcle.com. Stay connected with us on Facebook and YouTube by searching m and Instagram and Twitter at M-She-L-E. Underscore underscore if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It would be greatly appreciated. Until next time, take care of yourself, lift each other up and we'll see you on the next episode of Spilling the Tea with M.